Well, good morning. Good Good to be with you. We're going to be back in Acts chapter 5. We're going to continue our study on the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me. Um, And the way that Pete has been starting a number of his messages recently, I don't know if you've been keeping tabs on this, but uh, he's been offering the opportunity for us to share how we have shared the gospel in some way in the previous week. So I want to open up the opportunity again this morning. Does anyone want to share uh, a story of how maybe they have witnessed to someone else over the course of the last week or so? And it's a shame Pete's not in here because I want to put him on the spot for once. Brandon, you have one by chance? Did you have the interview? I thought you might want to share that. Tomlinson, myself, and Sean sat down with a guy uh, from New Noise Magazine, and um, the guy had actually listened to the whole record before we talked to him, um, which obviously hasn't been released yet, but um, he's doing a review on the record. Um, He is not exactly a professing uh, Christian. Uh, He comes from a a Catholic background, and um, obviously Catholics don't really put emphasis on the Word of God, so he's not really... Um, exactly understanding some of the biblical references and stuff that are in our music that we're talking about. Um, But what he said about our music was that he really felt like um, our music really speaks to our faith and uh, and the hope that we have uh, in Jesus. And and just talking to the guy and explaining uh, explaining to him the the way we write our music, both uh, the 
music itself, and especially the lyrics, because the lyrics are really big for us, and proclaiming the gospel, um, he just, uh, he felt like we did a really good job at that, but at the end of the interview, uh, Sean actually asked him if there was anything that he could pray for uh, him about, and he proceeded to say that uh, he really needed prayer about patience with his family, uh, with his wife, with his kids, and just different situations, and um, so we were like, hey man, you know, we deal with some of the same things, and like, you know, let's just, is it cool if we pray right now with you on the phone? And so we prayed with him uh, on the phone, and after uh, we were done, he just said like, wow, like, I feel this, like, this peace, this, like, energy coming down through my head and through my body, like, right now, which, to me, I'm getting, like, I'm, I'm feeling the spirit right now just standing here telling us, and, uh, you know, I think God really used that, uh, the interview and the things that we were saying, and even the music and the record itself, to minister to this guy, to, to maybe really put into perspective for him that, God, there, there is a God, which obviously he already recognizes, that he can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And so um, that was an experience that we had this week. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to pray for that gentleman. His name is Jay, um, that he would continue to encounter God uh, through whatever way that God can to, to minister to him. And I praise God that even through some rock music um, that the Lord is able to, you know, use that and we were able to minister to him. So, anyways, that was... Anybody else? Just quick opportunity. I'm not going to pressure anyone. Okay. So, we know that sharing our faith can be very difficult. I mean, I find it difficult to sometimes strike up a conversation with someone about this because it can be uncomfortable. I mean, it's good to invite people to church. We, we want to do that. It's good. I mean, um, that, that's a fantastic thing, bringing them in. And we, we will share the gospel, I promise you. If, if someone comes through those doors and listens to a sermon, they're going to hear the gospel, and that's a good thing. But as believers, we are all called to also be evangelists. We are called to share the gospel, not just invite people to church. And, you know, it, it's difficult It's in, in our culture in particular, I, I think, because very often we have to exemplify things like hospitality in order to earn people's trust so that we can share the gospel. Or you hear something called servant evangelism, where we serve other people so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel. Um, sometimes people don't even necessarily have the, the background to even hear the gospel because they don't even believe in God. So you have to take a step back and talk about why does God exist. And so the, there are all sorts of tools out there, the four spiritual laws, the Romans road, etc., that can help us with this. Uh, and there are all these things that we have to keep in our mind when we say we're going to be faithful in witnessing to other people and we finally get enough courage to share with someone else. This morning, Acts chapter 5 again, starting in verse 27, um, I'm going to read in a second, but this morning I want to invite the apostles themselves to give us a gospel story, to, to come into this room and to speak to us, give their experience of a time they shared the gospel. And I think what we'll find is when we see from their perspective and how they have done it, uh, sure, their, their culture is very different. They're in different, more extreme circumstances than us. That's certainly true. But there are some deeper principles that we can learn and extract from their story that will help us 
and what we are called to do in witnessing in this culture. You guys tracking with me? So that's where we're going to go this morning, Acts chapter 5. We're going to be uh, starting in verse 27 in a second, as I mentioned, but let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for how you speak to us. Thank you for how you give us models for how we should live in light of your kingdom. Father, I ask that you would um, open up our ears this morning, that you would help us to apply these things in a very real and tangible way in our lives and in our personal context, wherever that may lead us throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week, first part of Acts chapter 5, Scott preached on um, the apostles find themselves in prison. What happened when they were in prison? Anybody remember? How'd they get out of prison? You can't answer. Yeah, so there's a divine intervention where an angel comes to deliver them out of prison. It's a pretty powerful thing. And so the instruction from the angel is, hey, go into the temple court and preach about the new life. And so the angel comes in, extracts the apostles, they go and start preaching. And then the Sanhedrin, these are these religious folks, the the religious authorities. Uh, You've got Roman authorities and and the Sanhedrin are the Jewish authorities. Uh, The Sanhedrin say, you know what, go get those guys out of prison. We want to talk to them. So what happens when they go into prison? They're not there. It's kind of a problem. Um, it's kind of a problem because, you know, we, we stuck them in there. Did, did something break in the prison system? I and mean, what's going on? And so they, instead they find that these guys are out in the temple court preaching. Um, and it kind of puts some egg on their faith, face. Excuse me. I mean, it's, it's kind of a problem. It's, it's ironic because these people don't even believe uh, the, the Sadducees, as, as uh, um, Scott talked about last week, don't even necessarily believe in the resurrection, don't even believe necessarily in angels. And yet, here are these apostles now preaching because they sort of had a jailbreak because of an angel. And so what happens is, the Roman guard, they freak out because it's potentially their neck on the line. They could be killed for not doing their job correctly. They go get their captain. The captain and these Roman guards, they, they come out. They, they see the apostles out there preaching. And once more, people are listening to them. I mean, it's not like they're just preaching and, you know, everybody's walking by like you see like some street preacher maybe sometimes at the beach or something like that. You know, they're, they're just preaching and everybody's really uncomfortable and just walking by and not listening. No, these guys, they're preaching and everyone's listening. And the Roman guards come out and they see this and like, oh, shoot, um, we can't just grab them by the, by the arm here and jerk them into the Sanhedrin's court. We need to actually sort of handle this delicately. And so they walk in, and they, they escort them in delicately, trying not to cause a revolt or anything like that. And now the apostles stand before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish authority. So that's where our passage comes in this morning. Apostles are standing before them, Acts chapter 5, verse 27. Let's look at their testimony. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We have given you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have been filled, or you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So, what does 
the Sanhedrin say? They say, look, guys, we told you not to do it. We stuck you in prison because you, because you did it anyway. You did the exact thing we told you not to do. You went all the way through the whole city and said the exact thing we told you not to do. And you're saying to everybody that we're the ones that killed Jesus. Kind of a, a big charge here. Kind of a big issue. Look at what the apostles say, though. Verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So how do the apostles respond? They, they bring them into the court. The, the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, these guys are like, what do you got? You know, we told you not to do it. Why are you doing this? Why are you saying the blood is on our hands? And they walk up in there as bold as they can be and say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to respond to you like this. I am appealing to a higher authority. I do not follow you. I follow God. And God has told us this gospel. And by the way, here's the gospel. Blood is on your hands. Kind of a condemning sort of way to respond to the court of the day, don't you think? Can you imagine walking into a courtroom today and say, Hey, Judge, um, you know, you told me not to preach, but you know, I, I'm here to preach to you. So, you know, you, you kind of killed Jesus. Um, that would be a difficult message to give, I think. So how do they react? Verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious. And wanted to put them to death. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I told you not to do it. We brought you into prison. You escaped. Brought you back before us. Why did you do this? They say, well, here's my answer. Because you killed Jesus. And I'm going to preach to you right now. So they get really mad and say, you know what? We should kill these guys. Um, until someone steps in to sort of... Um, de-escalate the situation. Look at verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So, Gamaliel. Does anybody know? I mean, does that name ring a bell to anyone? Who is Gamaliel? Anybody want to shout it out? Yes. So we know Gamaliel from the New Testament because Saul, who became Paul, studied under this guy. This is like he's the big-name scholar of the day, and he's got political weight and everything like that. He's the well-known Jewish authority. I mean, he is the Jewish authority that taught Paul everything that he knew about his faith, or at least his Jewish faith. And so Gamaliel stands up, right, this heavy hitter, and says, y'all, let me tell you what, 
Y'all saw what they were doing out in the temple court. All these people were listening to them. Kind of a problem if you just kill them. If you kill them, all of these people are going to revolt, is essentially what he's saying. Just think about these other examples. He, he brings up a couple of other people to just kind of give an example here. This guy, Thetis, and this other guy named Judas. Uh, very, very common names in those times. So we're not talking about the Judas that betrayed Jesus, but another Judas. And so we got to realize at this time, the, Rome, the Roman um, occupation was really a terrible thing. Rome, Rome controlled Jerusalem, controlled the Jews. And Rome, you know, they're basically a dictatorship at this point. Um, the threat of Jewish revolt against Rome was a very real threat. It had happened a lot. It had happened a lot. You had these just two examples, but a lot of people had risen up from the Jewish community and said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this. We're going to lead a revolt against Rome. And so these two guys uh, in, the hit, in the past had, had done this and failed. You know, they, they only had 400 people. One of them only had 400 people um, on their side, and so all 400 were slaughtered. So Gamaliel's argument is, hey guys, don't kill them. If they're from God, then we don't, wanna, we don't want to um, be against them. But if they're not from God, they're just going to be killed by the Romans like everybody else that's done that, right? It's, it's kind of it's true, don't you think? Uh, if it's really of God, we don't want to be against God. But if it's not from God, then it's just going to fall apart anyway. It's a pretty decent argument. I mean, it's a politically savvy argument, right? Um, let's, let's be politically correct here is essentially what he is saying. All right, so that's Gamaliel's argument. Now, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, the apostles' response to this. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They preach after Jesus had been crucified, mind you. They preach, they get sent to prison, warned, don't do this again. They break out of prison. They get sent back to the Sanhedrin. They tell them again, do not preach. And this time, it's not a warning. They almost lose their life, and instead they get 39 lashes. Beat pretty badly. A lot of people died from this. So what is, the, what is their response? They get out of the court, and they go right back to preaching. Kind of an obstinate bunch if I do say so myself. I mean, these guys are getting stuck in prison. They're getting beaten. They get their lives threatened all the time. And they leave like, yeah, praise the Lord. This is awesome. I'm going to go right back to preaching. I don't care what they say. I'm going to follow God, not man. That's the apostles that we're looking at in the New Testament. So that is the testimony that, we have, that we've heard. Let me sort of propose, I'm doing a little bit more teaching this morning. Let me propose six principles that we can sort of extract from this for our own lives. The first principle is this, if you're taking notes. There are times when disobeying the authorities is the right thing to do. 
Go ahead and let that one sink in. There are times when disobeying the authorities is the right thing to do. Didn't think I was going to say that, did you? You see the rub here. From the Christian perspective, this is difficult. We think about Romans chapter 13, for instance. Let me just read this to you. Romans 13 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. It seems as though Scripture is teaching us that government and authority is a good and godly, God-given thing as an institution. We, we seem to be taught by Paul in Romans 13 that we should give honor and respect to our government as an institution anyway. Now, we can talk all day long about you know, different forms of government. For instance, I think communism is an inherently evil institution. I think that we should buck against that because it on its face in principle is evil. And so, therefore, that's not, that's not a government necessarily that we should aspire to. And we know that all governments are impacted by the fall, are impacted by sin, are impacted by evil. And so, they're not ever going to be perfect this side of heaven, right? We know that. But as an institution, Christians honor and respect government and authority as we are salt and light in the culture. So, we are attempting to see government get better, not buck against it and overthrow it as a whole. Does that make sense? So Romans 13 teaches us that, but yet here the apostles are saying, you're telling us not to do something. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. So what do we do do with this? They say we must obey God rather than human beings. In principle, I'm pretty sure that this means that there are times when disobeying the authorities is the right thing to do. Now, this doesn't have to be the government. Think about this for a second. There are potentially times when disobeying our employers, our parents, there are potentially times when disobeying any authority in our lives is the right thing to do. But we need to understand the criteria for when we're going to disobey those authorities, okay? So uh, Atwood, I've been doing some study on this passage uh, this week, and so there's a scholar named Atwood that has sort of said it this way. There are two situations when we should enact disobedience to our authorities. The first situation is when we refuse to honor the instructions given to us uh, when those instructions would have us reject our allegiance to Christ. And then the second instance is when, we, when those instructions would... would have us reject our conscience that is informed by our Christian worldview. Or let me just summarize it this way. Anytime that an authority would have us reject Christ or have us sin against Christ, we should disobey it. Amen? That means civil disobedience is something that a Christian should know. I think... um, you can't say the word civil disobedience in our culture without thinking about Dr. King. And we just had the anniversary not that long ago. And I pray that 
you know, if, if we ever have something as evil as institutional racism again in this country, I pray that Christians will, will model civil disobedience as he did. I pray that we would stand alongside him and that we would, we would model that by refusing to be a part of a government system that is wicked in that way. And that we wouldn't be blinded to that kind of thing. I mean, it would be easy for us to be blinded to cultural sin or a government that is sinning in a certain way. I pray that on principle, we as believers find our allegiance to Christ first and that we will disobey the government if it forces us to sin or if it tries to force us to sin. It is a good thing that in the mind of a Christian, there is an absolute difference between church and state. Y'all following me? Not talking politics. I'm talking kingdom of God. There's a difference between the church and state. We have our allegiance first and foremost to Christ and His church. And any time that that conflicts with state, we go with church instead of state. That's what I'm getting at here. Now, what I'm teaching this morning is a very dangerous idea in a lot of ways. Because you can easily see how someone might misconstrue this and say something like... I don't want to pay my taxes because the Bible says this. Or I don't want to follow the speed limit because that's not a right thing that the Bible says. You know, that's not what I'm saying here. I think if we're going to enact disobedience against our authorities or even our parents or, or, or our employer, we better understand what Jesus has taught about that issue. We better understand it. I mentioned Atwood a second ago, the scholar I was talking about. He, he says that there are sort of six um, criteria of, of um, sort of framing this, this issue, and I want to give these to you. The first is that if we're going to disobey, we should use democratic argument first. We should try to reason with people before we disobey. We should, we should do our best to do that. Secondly, if we're going to disobey, then we have to be publicly open about it and submissive to the consequences. The apostles went to prison. The apostles got the beating. If we're going to disobey, there are consequences that we have to be willing to pay. Number three, that we prefer nonviolence. And when at all possible, the believer chooses not to act in violence uh, rather than to, to act in sort of warfare or some sort of violent means. Number four, that we respect the law and understand it. You can't disobey it until you fully understand the the intricacies of it. Number five, that we use wisdom and discernment. And number six, that we have realistic ends in mind. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this. That when it comes to our interaction with the government, that when it comes to our interaction with authorities, with our employers, with our parents, whatever authority we have in our life, we represent Christ. We are an ambassador for Christ. And so, if we're going to disobey those earthly authorities because we represent Christ, we had better understand what Christ is telling us and that how we disobey also represents Christ. You guys tracking with me? 
that we, res- that we respond in a Christ-like attitude even in our disobedience when we have to. So that's, that's the first principle. Now, the second principle is this, if we're taking notes. Our faith changes what it means to have honor. Our faith changes what it means to have honor. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had counted it worthy of suffering to be disgraced for His name. There is something at work here very different than what most people see in the world. Most people only see the here and now, only see what's right in front of their face, only see the politics of the day. The Sanhedrin only saw the the possible revolting of the crowd. They only saw the Roman occupation. They only saw the, the, the physical things in front of them. The apostles understood something was deeper at play. There was something bigger here. There was something more important and eternal here. There was something spiritual happening. Their priorities are based on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. We have to understand that it's an honor to, be, to suffer for the sake of that kingdom. It changes our priorities in that way. Number three, the power of the resurrection has the effect of making disciples bold. The power of the resurrection has the effect of making disciples bold. I was, two weekends ago, um, I was at a little country church in, uh, I, w- I actually won't say where it is, but I was in a little country church in Virginia um, preaching. They asked me to come and preach, and I knew that some people were going to be in the crowd that weren't believers and just felt burdened to come and preach a very difficult message. The message I was preaching was from the Old Testament. I was dealing primarily with the judgment of God. As you can imagine, that is a very unpopular message to talk about the judgment of God, especially in our culture today. It's very offensive, right? It's very offensive to talk about the fact that people are guilty. And it was a very difficult message. And so I sit down in the front row, kind of in my own world as I prepared my mind and heart for for speaking. And right before the message, I turn around and I look and I'm like, oh my gosh, this church had packed out with, with people that knew me in high school and um, knew me from way back in the day. And um, back in my more rebellious years, if you will, and uh, family members and people that um, I knew were lost. They're sitting there, and I've never in my life felt so much pressure to water down a message. I really did feel this pressure like, you know, what are these people going to think of me if I get up here and preach a sermon about God's judgment instead of God's love? I mean, all the people from my, my hometown, are, you know, are, are there, essentially. And I've never felt the pressure like that before. And so I spent a second and prayed, and, and I can tell you, I've never also felt, as soon as I submitted to the Lord and said, you know what, God, I don't care what other people think about me as long as you're happy with me. Um, as soon as I submitted in that way in prayer, I've never felt more bold. I have never felt more bold. I got up and preached probably the hardest message that I've ever preached. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can see sometimes you preach. Uh, you guys don't see the perspective that I have. Sometimes you preach and you're like, man, is anybody like listening? <laughs> you know, is, is anyone out there? You know, is anyone asleep or whatever? Or, and sometimes you preach and you're like, man, um, you know, I, I don't know what's going on, but God seems to be moving and I can see it. Um, and this, this was one of those sermons where I was like, wow, God is moving. This is crazy. I'm seeing people in tears. It seems like people are responding to the gospel. And I can tell you that submitting in that way makes you bold in a way that you would have never been bold before. I'll be honest with you, Brandon can tell you, and he's, he's remarked on this several times, for me personally, I am a terrible speaker. Um, I really am. I'm an awful at talking to other people. Yeah, I really am. Uh, before getting saved, I did not want to do any public speaking. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I really had no desire to do public speaking ever because I stutter and have all this problem getting words out. But getting saved, um, the, the Spirit emboldened me. And it's nothing that I did. It's what the Spirit has done. The Spirit emboldened me to get up here and talk to you guys, and here I am doing public speaking. That's, that is the power of of the Holy Spirit. He makes us bold to preach the gospel. Not just me, all of us. Look at the apostles. The apostles, after the resurrection, or excuse me, after the crucifixion, Peter, you remember, he denied Christ three times. The apostles are sitting in a stinking basement in Jerusalem, scared out of their mind, hiding from the Roman authorities so that they don't get crucified. And then what happens? They meet the resurrected Jesus, and it is a game changer. The resurrected Jesus turns a quibbling Peter, who denies Jesus three times, into the man that stands before the Sanhedrin, who were the ones that crucified Jesus, essentially, that condemned him. He stands before them saying, you know what? This Jesus who you crucified, the blood is on your hands. Where did that boldness come from? I mean, boldness like you've never seen. It's crazy, the power of the resurrection. We're going to sing about it in a little bit. The power of the resurrection takes away all of the power of the evil forces of the world. I mean, I'm, I mean, that's big picture, really profound stuff, right? The resurrection takes away the power of the evil forces of the world. All of the Herods and the Caesars and the Sadducees, those that would compete against God's kingdom, the only teeth that they have, the only, the only weapon that they have against us is the fear of death, the fear of pain, the fear of suffering. And the resurrection shows us that Jesus has overcome death, has overcome pain, has overcome the consequence of sin, has given us future hope in what's to come, this an eternal life and an eternal kingdom. The resurrection emboldens us to go up against these other earthly forces of evil and say, you know what, you've got nothing on me, do your absolute worst, and it will be nothing in light of what Jesus has already done. The resurrection takes away the fear of death. We can no longer be paralyzed by the fear of those that would oppose Christ. And it emboldens us to live for his kingdom. Fourth, 
the preaching of the gospel evokes a variety of responses, right? Y'all know this? You walk up to somebody, you say, hey man, can I, can I witness to you? Whatever, however you want to do it. Um, maybe you know the guy, maybe the, you know the lady. Uh, let me just tell you about Jesus if I can. If you've ever done that, if you've ever had that experience, you know that that, that is like an incendiary statement. When you give the gospel, people respond in all different kinds of ways. And we see that in, in this passage, right? The, the, uh, the, the verse 33 there. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. These people, when Peter and the apostles preached, responded in open hostility. The Sadducees were furious at this gospel that he preached. I mean... Maybe rightfully so. I mean, he denied their beliefs about the resurrection. He had denied their instructions to stop preaching. He had said that there was blood on their hands for condemning Jesus to death. And the Jews were all listening to them, not the Sadducees. It kind of made sense from an earthly perspective why they would be mad. But how many people do you know that they can't get past the gospel presentation you're giving them because they're offended because you're saying that they're guilty because of sin. That's, that's, that is core to the gospel. You can't preach the gospel until you talk about guilt of sin. And these people can't stand it. They can't stomach it. Open hostility against it. And then you see this guy Gamaliel. He sort of leaves the door open but doesn't commit Gamaliel's response is logical from a political standpoint. I mean, it's, it's sort of the politically correct thing to do. I mean, does anyone in here know what happened in 70 A.D. in Jerusalem? What happened in 70 A.D.? The entire city was burned down, Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. The Romans came in and, and wiped it out. Why? Because the Jews finally revolted, and Rome finally said, you know what? We're going to squash this people group and come in and take them down. So the threat of revolt was a real problem. As we know from history, it wasn't too much longer after that that the entire city was destroyed. So what Gamaliel says here about just leave these guys alone and let it fizzle out is a very logical political play for sure. But let me tell you all something. Listen to me very closely. As far as Gamaliel is concerned, when responding to the gospel, a politically correct maybe is just as much of a denial of Christ as a hostile no. You saying, maybe Jesus is God, maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he died for my sins. I don't know. I'm just going to be agnostic about it because that's politically correct. That is just as much of a denial that will get you to hell as the Sadducees that come right out and say no. Maybe does not cut it, just like no does not cut it. The response to the gospel must be, as we see with the apostles, an act of extreme obedience. As the apostles came away from that meeting saying, I obey God, not man. That is the response that we see here that we should follow and seek to emulate. Now, number five. In any given situation, sometimes the best response 
is just to share the gospel. Pretty simple. Sometimes the best response is just to share the gospel. You know, th- these guys, they could have come in there. They were smart guys. These guys knew what they were talking about, right? The apostles were very smart. They, they wrote the New Testament. Uh, you know, Paul wrote the majority of it. But, you know, we've got Peter here. We've got a number of other guys here. They're very smart guys. They could have come in and given some sort of legal jargon and tried to get out of it from a legal perspective and p- sort of minded their P's and Q's to get away from this thing still alive or not beaten. But yet they come in. They don't do that. They don't give a legal argument. They give the gospel. God had told them to give the gospel. They had used their platform to share the gospel. And you look at this thing, right? And you see what what the gospel entails. Y'all look at what they said. If you get a chance, just while I'm speaking, read back through their response right there. They talk about the guilt of people who crucified Jesus, right? The guilt of sinners. They talk about the resurrection. By the way, you can't talk about the gospel without talking about the resurrection. We forget that piece. We want to talk about Jesus dying for our sins, but guess what? He rose to newness of life as Allison demonstrated this morning. We cannot forget that piece when it comes to giving the gospel. And he talks about repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Turning from sin. You're not saved because you repent, but you respond to what Jesus has done by repenting so that you can be forgiven. Turning from sin, turning towards forgiveness. And then fourth and finally, the testimony of the apostles and the Spirit. This is a historical event. This is not some fairy tale. This is not some mystical thing. This is not some good story that just happened that we are trying to learn some ethical system from. No, this actually happened. Jesus actually rose from the dead. Jesus actually died. Jesus came back to life, defeating death and sin, defeating the grave, and we will be risen again in His likeness as the apostles testified, as the Holy Spirit testifies, as the apostles testified to us today, this morning, 2,000 years later, and the Holy Spirit testifies to us today, this morning, 2,000 years later. Amen. We preach that gospel, the gospel of guilt of sin, the gospel of the resurrection, the gospel of repentance and forgiveness, and the gospel of the testimony of the apostles and the Spirit. That is the gospel. Now, sixthly, the sixth principle this morning, finally. God-ordained opportunities can include a miraculous prison escape and a painful beating. Let that sink in. God-ordained opportunities include a miraculous prison escape and a painful beating. How many of us would have done this? And, And I think I would be tempted at this. The apostles have been miraculously taken out of prison from an angel, mind you, escaped from prison, then they go preach. That's easy, right? I think that's pretty easy. I think it's easy to get the miraculous event and now feel energized and charged up about it to go and preach because you've just experienced something incredible, right? Now... They stand before the Sanhedrin and preach again and get beaten 39 lashes. They don't respond by saying, oh, well, now we need to be quiet. They don't respond by saying, oh, we only need to preach when 
God intervenes and saves us. They respond by saying, you know what? I'm going to preach whether I'm taken out of prison, put into prison, or beaten because of it. All of those instances, all of those circumstances, they see as a platform to preach the gospel. They don't, they don't say only when it's easy and comfortable and convenient, only when God has moved in a certain way will I preach. They say I will preach in all of those instances. They say that when you find yourself hurt and beaten in a hospital bed with cancer, we have someone in our congregation that demonstrates this so perfectly. They say this is a platform to preach. I think, I'm talking about Richard. I mean, Richard, I think he was emboldened even more when he got cancer. I've never seen the man more on fire than when he gets terminal cancer. He doesn't say, God, only if you save me from my cancer will I preach. He says, God, you've given me cancer. I'm going to preach all the more. This is a platform. The apostles saw every opportunity, every instance to preach the gospel. They, they did not shy away from this. and They did not justify it as saying, oh, well, you know, if God wanted me to preach, then he would save me this time. No, no, they say, God wants me to preach, and I'm going to obey God. Whatever else happens is up to him, period. I'm going to preach. That's it. And they were willing to, to count the cost there. So I think it's easy as we think about these six principles to sort of think about the apostles as being disconnected from us, right? At least I do. These guys were 2,000 years ago. Um, you know, they were the apostles. I mean, they're, they're legendary. You know, their faith is untested in many respects, we, we might think to ourselves. We, we might say, you know what, they were, they were chosen by Jesus himself. They were given Jesus' teaching. They knew the resurrection was true. They were given the power of the Holy Spirit. They were given the great commission to preach in their culture. Their lives will echo into eternity. They will be accountable to Christ who saved them for how they spent their time and used their platform. And they could be used by God and were used by God to do miraculous things. That's what we say to ourselves. Those are the apostles. And I realize that we're in a different circumstance than them, right? In many respects, they were in a very extreme circumstance. But let's remember this morning, we were chosen by Jesus himself. We were given Jesus' teaching. We know the resurrection is true. We were given the power of the Holy Spirit. We were given the great commission to preach in our culture. Our lives will echo into eternity. We will be accountable to the one who saved us for how we spent our time and used our platform. And we can be used by God to do miraculous things. We have the same accountability, the same spirit, the same commission as they did. And that's sort of the invitation this morning. It's, it's not necessarily to come forward or anything like that. But um, if you want to do business with the Lord, as, as Sean comes and leads us in a song here, if you want to do business with the Lord, I just invite you to just bow your head there and and understand the, the weight of the commission that we've been given, that these principles should be part of our DNA as we build the kingdom of God. It's something that we can't always see. It's something that's bigger and greater and more powerful than any governmental authority. It's bigger and greater and more powerful than any authority else otherwise in our lives. It's, it's something that we submit to first and foremost, and therefore every platform in our life becomes a platform to preach the gospel no matter what it is. And I would, just, I would just sort of invite us this morning 
to dedicate ourselves to that mission. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you teach us through the story of the apostles that you did not just send them to do their business and then exclude us from your mission, but you involve us through the power of the Spirit Spirit, 2,000 years later in the same mission that they were involved in then. You didn't leave us to aimless and purposeless lives. You led us to a life that seeks to use every platform to preach. No matter the circumstance, no matter what we've got going on, no matter um, if we've got a government that oppresses us, whatever that means, Lord, our authority is to you first and foremost. And I pray that you would use us, use this church, use these people in this room. I pray that you would use us to see the power of the resurrection come to fruition. In Jesus' name, amen.